Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. All right. Hello, hello, everybody. And we are back with a very special episode of Changing the Climate this week. The first guest who reached out to me to be on the show. I am very excited to have Mr. Philip Ogren. Philip, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. This is very, this is quite a treat. Yeah, no, it's, I'm honored to have you, man. Thanks so much for reaching out. It really means the world to me when people do so. And we always love to get the show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so um, I uh, am, am a concerned citizen, so I'm not really credentialed in all the things I'm going to be talking about. I, I'm kind Perfect. of an armchair, armchair philosopher who loves to you know, be in dialogue and in conversation about a lot of these issues. But, I, you know, I didn't go to grad school in uh, economics or urban planning or anything like that. But um, and I'm trained as a computer scientist. I, I work for a large software company. But, uh, yeah, I, I've been interested in land use and housing issues in Boulder, uh, you know, kind of very focused on, on the Boulder area for 10 years or so. I think it got started uh, reading this book, uh, Suburban Nation. I don't know if you've heard of Suburban Nation, but um, it really sort of changed my life in a profound way. Um, made me really angry about like why cities are the way they are. And I, could, I had to sort of stop uh, being, uh, I, I had to, you know, stop. I, I couldn't enjoy suburban sprawl anymore after, after right. watch, uh, reading that book. So fair enough. Yeah, sometimes when I'm I'm out touring with clients and like showing them houses and stuff, I think like, wow, like one or two people are going to use all this space and all these resources. It's it's very interesting to be like the climate change realtor and taking people around and being part of the as we call it in past episodes the growth machine. Well, we'll get into talking about all sorts of stuff. I mean, I would I guess I would begin by asking you where did your interest in these topics originate? It's through through this suburban nation thing. Well, it goes back a little further, actually. I was. I, it occurred to me the other day that um, <clears throat> my sister had some um, some impact on me in this area because when I was young, she moved to Germany. She's she's uh, fourteen years older than me, and I was still in high school. And she would come back, and and we would drive around the neighborhood, and she would talk about how different, how how weird it was to drive around suburban Minneapolis, where I grew up, mm -hmm. uh, compared to where she lived in Berlin, Germany. And uh, I, I, it really made me scratch my head because I was like, hey, man, this is this is we, this is great. We love it here. Right. Yeah. She's like kind of pushing back on all these notions about wide asphalt streets and these gigantic cars we drive around in and how that's the only way to get around. And so that that sort of planted a seed that uh, that has grown, you know, to this, this lifelong interest of mine. But another thing that uh, experience that really um, wormed its way into my brain was I spent a summer in Atlanta in 1996 during the Summer Olympics. Uh, it just happened, it was a coincidence. Um, and I spent 45 minutes every morning and every afternoon driving through rush hour traffic to go from a suburban house I was staying at my uncle's to downtown Atlanta. And I was, I just sort of committed to myself. I was, you know, 19 or 20 at the time. Like, I'm never going to live in this situation where I have to do this, for, you know, every day for the rest of my life. Ugh. This is, you know, this is bullshit. I'm not going to do it. And so yeah. that's, a, that's sort of another, uh, you, you know, thing that happened to me where I've, I've, you know, I think, I think long before I got interested in housing and land use issues, I was really interested in designing my life around not having to commute and drive everywhere. And that, Definitely. that was just like purely self-interest, right? I, <laughs> I just hate, For sure. I don't like, I don't like driving, especially Neither. in traffic and, you know, to make it part of your daily routine is just such a drag. So hundred percent, we only have so much time in our lives, you know, and then to be sitting in traffic. I mean, if it's really, really worth it for your dream job, or if you have like a long distance relationship, someone you really love, I think it's totally worth it. But one of the big reasons why I live in town and I'm willing to pay the ridiculously high rent prices because I love being here and I love being right next to work. So I guess the first thing I would want to ask you to kind of get this whole topic of, of density going and discussing how to make a more efficient way to live, at least in Boulder. I'm not sure if my headphones just turned off here, but um, I think something people I can don't. Hear you fine. 
Thank you. I think something people uh, I should I should bring up is that it's counterintuitively to people who aren't involved in this space. It's actually more environmentally friendly to to have a city rather than a suburban life. Is that is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you do this little thought experiment, yeah, we have this kind of strange intuition about cities because we think of them as like these concrete and steel hellscapes where all all of all the badness of humanity is produced and industrialization and and all of that's true right it they allow for large populations and for this economic machine to function but uh and so and then when we go into nature we have this experience of oh nature is amazing and it's inspiring and it rejuvenates me and we want to spend more time in nature and you know and then the the media really feeds us, especially, you know, when you think about like um, tourism or, or even green, uh, you know, conservation, a, a lot of what's involved with that is like, you're going to live in a tiny home in the wilderness, you know, next mm -hmm. to a creek and you'll be connected with nature and you'll, your soul will feel full and it'll be wonderful. You're but if you do that, yeah, if you do the thought experiment of like, what if we all do that? Like we all try to maximize the amount of nature that we're surrounded by, like that's bad for nature, right? That's bad for the ecology if, if humanity is, is spreading out as widely as possible. And cities provide a, an avenue for us to really um, use a lot less space and live a lot more compactly and use a lot less resources if, if we're being mindful. Of course, uh, some of our biggest consumers and carbon footprint citizens live in cities too. But, mm -hmm. but, but cities make it possible to have a really light footprint for a large number of people. Yeah. So one of my thoughts as I get further and further into this climate environmental space is that we, we don't seem to live in, is the word like reciprocity? Like we don't seem to live in balance with nature. When we go somewhere, we like dominate the entire area, like even worse than like beavers who make dams, we go and we change the entire um, environmental system just to be completely focused around humans. And um, yeah, I didn't really think about this kind of stuff until it, like something Phil Taylor said on the show really stuck out to me. It's like, should we even be living here? And I, like, I never even considered the possibility that we shouldn't be living in Boulder, Colorado, because we should be trying to preserve the land. But yeah, I have this idea in my head that like we could be because I'm such like a, a simpleton, like I'm like, oh, I'll just donate 50% of my commissions to fight climate change, and I'll be good. And I'm like, oh, if we just, you know, make half of the earth for humans and half of the earth for wildlife, we should be fine. Figured I would share that idea with you. Love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, we're uh we're, we're, I don't, I don't know how much of the, of the habitable planet we've actually covered over with pavement and, and grass, uh, not to mention, um, crops that we burn in our cars. Uh, it, but it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, grass, seriously. Yeah. Um, I, I rent, I rent a, a patch of it that I have to maintain. It drives me crazy, but, uh, <laughs> is that the HOA that makes you do that? Well, I mean, I don't want to destroy my landlord's grass, right? Because that's... Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, and I feel like our pattern right now is, is expanding on the edges of what we've already developed. And because it's like the only, it's the only economically viable or it's the, it's the only place where we actually allow new growth to happen is on the edges. And so in the edges... Are, are big, right? They're in getting bigger as their metropolitan areas uh, get, uh, you know, get so big that they overlap with the next metropolitan area. And um, yeah, I'm very concerned about how much land we use. Cool. So Philip, can you tell me about this Make Dense project? When did you start it? What was, what's the idea behind it? Yeah. So uh, I've got a blog called makedense.com and uh, it's just a place for me to just dump my opinions on the world to, to whoever will listen. Uh, it's, it's, really, you, it's really about what I'd like to do is breathe some creative imagination into making our cities much denser, in particular, Boulder, Colorado. So mm -hmm. um, Boulder is not a very dense city. It is by Colorado standards, but that doesn't mean much, you know, uh, when you think about world-class cities. Uh, what does dense mean? Is it lots yeah, so of people living in, in place? That, that's a great question. So, so dense means 
lots of things to different people. And I'm really trying to reclaim the word, the word as being positive. And may, maybe I should, maybe I should have named the blog something else, but um, I think back. of it. I think of density. I can't go back. I think of density <laughs> as, as being something that uh, is human scaled, right? So when I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily mean Manhattan style density or Singapore or, or, you know, some of these huge megalopolises. Uh, but um, I think, I think when we get to where uh, most of our citizens can get around by walking and biking, then we can, then we can pat ourselves on the back as being like, Hey, we, we have a, a livable, human-scaled city that's lovely, and I don't, I don't see any need to like try to maximize how much density you, you, um, you can conceivably uh, construct. But I do feel like, um, you know, if if we believe there's a climate crisis, we're going to have to figure out how to get out of our cars, and um, we're not trying to very hard to figure out how to get out of our cars because we live in these structures that are, that we've completely handed over to cars, right? Mm -hmm. We live on wide streets. We have these huge freeways that go through our, through our towns. And um, every, every assumption about our economic life assumes that you'll be able to go exactly where you want when you want in a car by yourself. And uh, that to me is, is a huge problem. And, and our cities just, assume that and they allow for that. And I think that um, if we're going to get out of our cars, it's not because we're going to have heroic individuals who like, you know, give up, you know, er, you know, the convenience of modern living. It's because the structures that we live in are going to make it inconvenient to, to have cars. Right. Or, or like, it'll just be lovelier or, or, or economically uh, more accessible to live without cars. So, so cars ought to be really expensive. There ought to be a lot less parking for them. And we got to stop giving all of this space over to them. It's the contrary view as an American, for sure. One thing I definitely noticed when I was living in the UK for a while is that they're much more focused on, on traveling via train or in a walk or walking more so than the US. But one, one thing I'll say in response to that, and, and obviously our, I've discussed this with our mutual friend, David Addison, at, le- at length about he was trying to edge me to get an electric car and then try to not to travel as much. But um, I am very much an environmental advocate. Obviously, most of my like business is based on that. I'm always trying to find a way to make the world a better place and create a better environment. And that's kind of what the point of this podcast is. But at the same time, I can't help my, my nature that I am a, an advocate of freedom as well. And one of the beautiful things about having the cars is being able to just pick up and be able to go wherever you want. So kind of what kind of what kind of response would you face to someone like that who's who's very um, adamant about being able to do whatever they want all the time? Yeah, so uh, I, I, I'm also a big advocate of personal liberty, and I find like so um, I, I I consider myself a car light person. Live, you know, I'm not sure what the right noun is for that, but um, sure. I don't own a car myself. Uh, my wife and my stepdaughter share a car, and I, I sometimes use that. So it's not like I I'm completely foreign to driving around when I need to. Um, but uh, I find it very liberating to not have to, to drive and park a car, you know, like what, one of the worst scenarios in my life is to have a chirpy young professional with a clipboard, tell me how much it's going to cost to get my car out of the garage, you know, to, after, mm-hmm. after I went in for an oil change and I'm not, I'm going to pay hundreds of dollars. And so there's, there's an economic um, aspect to not owning a car that's liberating. Um, there's, you know, I like to, I like to bike down to a local bar and have a few drinks and not worry about, I, I suppose I'm not supposed to be biking home drunk, <laughs> you know, but uh, that, that's, that's also a problem, but it's not as big a problem oh, as me driving a land yacht home drunk, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, um, there's all these logistics that we take for granted with cars. Uh, you have to go long distances and you have to have a place to park the car. And um when you live in a compact city, and, and most of us don't really have that, that much experience living without cars, but when you live in a compact city in a neighborhood where you can go where you need to on bikes and walking, it's, it's liberating. I get, to, you know, I get to do all kinds of stuff in my neighborhood that, that feels great to me. So, um, Yeah. Have you ever heard of the term lifestyle inflation? 
no, but I like it. Yeah. So that that what the, the idea behind it is that when you start you start off as a young person making whatever it's forty thousand dollars a year, you go out with to drink, drinks with your friends, whatever. Then you get a raise, and let's let's say you were saving whatever a thousand dollars a month or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter what you're saving, but the theory behind lifestyle inflation is that when you get a raise, you the, your mind somehow finds a way to just spend the rest of the money and spend the rest of the money. <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you about this is that we have this we've created this standard of living where we all live in these three thousand square foot houses. We drive two cars. We use plastic water bottles. We do all these extremely wasteful things that Americans are now accustomed to. And it's now the challenge of who, whoever is interested in, in saving the, the climate or saving the, the, the environment to, um, to convince people like, hey, we're being really, really wasteful and we need to actually decrease our standard of living if we want to have a chance of actually having a prosperous society in the future. I just wanted to ask you, how could we possibly start a dialogue about something like that? Yeah, well, I guess I would push back on one thing. We we are not all living in 3,000 square foot homes. Many of us okay, are living enough. in apartments, are living in trailer homes, are living, uh, you know, uh, um, so, but but that behavior is totally normalized and, and many people right. are seeking that out who, who don't have it. Sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, gosh, you know, um, this, this, uh, I'm not sure if I can answer your question because I'm not your, your the, the theme came the theme came out, but I forgot the actual question. But but this um, this idea of of uh, reducing the amount that you consume is just mm-hmm. um, I, I love thinking about this because um, there's you know I so I I read this book on minimalism where where the guy said um, there's nothing that you own that if you take it away will devalue you, make you less valuable. Mm. And uh, that is such a basic truth that it's like part of the everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten kind of wisdom. Yeah, right? It's yes. like, it's so, it's so obvious. And yet, even as an adult reading that, it kind of smacked me between the eyes because it was like, you know, I, I give a lot of effort over to the things that I, that I sort of curate and take mm-hmm. care of and, and uh, spend money on. And uh, it doesn't give me value. Like it, you know, it doesn't, maybe in some, in some circles, it would raise my esteem to have this thing or that thing, but that's different than having self-worth and, and uh, uh, feelings of, of meaning and purpose. Right. So, um, uh, but yeah, this, but, but it's all, it's all kind of relegated to like, oh, isn't that, isn't that sweet? You know, like that's like the the poster of, of uh, everything I learned. I, I learned in kindergarten, um, but uh, we do need to internalize this because it's 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 killing us, right? We have an epidemic mm-hmm. of mental health and and uh, social isolation, and um, you know when we when we finally achieve all this stuff that we're going after materially it leaves us feeling empty at the end anyways. And we're like, what the F was that all about? Why, why did, you know, like what a, what a tired meme that is story to, for, for us to just keep repeating this, these pursuits generation after generation and, and sort of like collectively, we, we can't seem to like wake up from this nonsense. Yeah. Well, we're perpetuating these systems that have been put in place exactly as you just described um, based on kind of using people as like, capital like we're using people for their labor and we're trying to build these amazing technologies and amazing systems and we're succeeding like we're sending people to mars we're doing all these amazing things we're creating artificial intelligence but i always question like what what does it all really lead to so the way i've ended up doing what i'm doing now is by really critically thinking about who i am and what i want to achieve out of my life and i've ended up in real estate because i love talking to new people like yourself thanks so much for being on the show talking to new people getting new ideas and the more and more i've do- i've dove into the core aspect Aspects of my personality, what's going to really give me happiness and fulfillment in life. For me as an extrovert, it all comes back to um, relationships with people. And that's how I've gotten very interested in the whole minimalist ideal is that instead of using your brain energy, which is very powerful, but is still limited on trying to um, accumulate things, whether it be wealth or possessions, really focusing on fostering strong relationships with people who have similar values that you can respect, I think is going to bring the most meaningful moments in your life. I mean, if you look back in your past, people love their weddings, the birth of their child. It's all human based stuff. It's not physical at all. You know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and when I think about what is the purpose of the economy, like what, where's it all going and why, why are we doing, why, why is there all this economic activity? And, and you start thinking about how, the ways that you participate in it and you feel like you're uh, feeding the globalist capitalist machine Mm-hmm. No matter what you do, right? Right. But but I actually do think that um, one of the most meaningful things we can do in terms of the economy is build great places to live, where we can reduce our our carbon footprint, where we can connect with our neighbors, uh, be in pro-social structures where you know meals happen spontaneously, kids can go to a ballpark and pick teams, uh, you know. Uh, people play music together or play board games together and, you know, and walk everywhere. Right. And uh, uh, yeah. So I feel like um, we collectively, especially in North America, we're not very good at building great cities. We are building uh, sprawling suburbs that uh, are, are not interesting places to visit. They're soul crushing places to live in. They're isolating. You know, you can literally just sort of like, click a button and have, have your, have your luxury wheelchair, pull you into your garage, click another button so that no one even sees you go in or out of your Mm -hmm. house. And um, yeah, I guess when I, when I think about the ideal place, I would love to live. And I know, I know there's an aspect of it. That's like, I want to have a nice place to live where, and so there's a, there's an accumulation aspect in that sense, but um to me, it doesn't have to be 3000 square feet. I, you know, my wife and I dream of having a one bedroom condo downtown somewhere, you know, where, where we can just walk to the market, walk to a coffee shop, interact with our neighbors. I mean, that, that to me sounds like pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah. And and it kind of, and it kind of um, echoes what you were saying about, you know, like relationships with humans. Like I want to, I want to live in a place where I just, I'm surrounded by people that I'm in relationship with. For sure. Is, is that what's so appealing about this idea of density to you? Is that people will be closer together and are more likely to interact with one another? Because obviously we've all seen over the last year that social isolation can be a bit uh, painful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess, I guess that's um, for me, that's like serendipity. Um, I, I love the fact that, that, human scaled environments are pro-social and inviting and lovely. And um, I think we need to have lots more of them for their own, for their own sake, just because it's a sort of an art to build beautiful places to live in. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, if that, if that's really what floats your boat, you know, go all in on building beautiful places for their own sake. But um, we also have a climate crisis that we're going to have to deal with. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, uh, dense neighborhoods that are that are human scaled allow for you to get out of your cars and they allow for you to share walls with uh, the neighboring structures and have much more efficient buildings and um, you know a lot less vehicle miles traveled and uh, all these all these great things that come with uh, more economically viable uh, living structures so Thank you, man. Would you mind telling me a bit about your work with Bedrooms Are For People? I don't think we got a chance to mention it on the last show. Yeah. So um, I, you know, like I said, I've been this kind of armchair philosopher giving my ideas out to whoever, you know, will, will listen. Uh, and so I started a blog and, but, but really like I'm trying to figure out how to plug into the community mm-hmm. and be politically active at the local level, because I feel like Boulder has a lot of ability if it can just sort of reimagine what its purpose is to, to, to be a model for solving a lot of the world's problems uh, as, as many Boulderites <laughs> do. Right. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I got plugged in with bedrooms are for people after uh, going through. So I went through a training program called the Boulder County leadership fellows training program. I think you would love it actually, if you haven't heard about it, it's um, yeah, first time they, they have a cohort every, every year, about 30 people. And uh, you get to learn about lots of different parts of the city uh, and the county. It's a county. It's a countywide program. Uh, I'm kind of digressing, but anyways, um, I met a lot of people through that program and got um, exposed to lots of 
lots of different thing, you know, organizations and programs that are uh, that are involved with making our county run and make it making it such a great place to live in. And um, uh, one of the organizers of that program uh, said, "Hey, you know, based on the things you've been saying, I bet you'd love this bedrooms are for people initiative." And uh, so I've been volunteering with them. So they're trying to improve access to housing through occupancy reform. Mm-hmm. So uh, throughout the city of Boulder, only three unrelated people can live together in a house, no matter how big the house is. So you can't, you can't have four unrelated people living together in a five bedroom house. And that p- people hear about that. They're like, what, 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 <laughs> why, why is that? And uh, yeah, we've had these, we've had these occupancy restrictions in place for, uh, for decades. And um, why, why do they exist? Why do they exist? I think um, there's uh, there's a contingent, in Boulder, uh, especially homeowners who don't want uh, neighbors dormifying their houses, right? They don't want they don't want lots of neighbors. They well, don't we want did. they in don't college. want their yeah <laughs> they don't want their neighbors' cars, right? Uh, cars are a problem. There's there's so much parking in this city, and then if you if every person has a car, um, you know, there's just cars everywhere, and uh, People hate other people's cars and with good reason. I do too, right? I don't, I don't really, I, I would like to have more people in Boulder and fewer cars. So that's my, that's my pipe dream. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I think, I think these occupancy rules, um, they, they, they have all kinds of roots in, in things that are just unpleasant, racism and anti LGBTQ sentiments. You know, uh, if you have, uh, two gay couples living together in a large house. Uh, you know, you can imagine back in the fifties and sixties that, you know, pro family types would have been against that sort of thing. So these things mm-hmm. really, th- this, these occupancy restrictions really limit the kinds of choices you can make about who you want to live with. And uh, so it's definitely a, um, a, a personal liberty issue, but it's also about um, making better use of the currently available housing. I mean, if you can make more efficient use of what's currently already built, uh, that's, that's, you know, a, a net positive, I think. Um, anyways, the reform that we're trying, we're in the middle of trying to get this on the ballot right now is one person per bedroom plus one. So if you have a four bedroom house, you could have uh, five, five people. And so um, that's it. It's a, it's a pretty simple reform and um, it has really wide appeal. I've been, I've been uh, helping gather signatures. So it's an online petition system, which is kind of cool because it's like a first in the nation, first of its kind online democracy initiative. So um, uh, we've been uh, having some good success. We're about uh, almost three fourths of the way there. We have to get 3,000 over 3,000 signatures by June 6th mm-hmm. and uh, just, you know, busting our butts trying to, to get the signatures we need. Cool, man. Send it my way. You'll get a, you'll get a signature from me. Something. Oh, you, great. Yeah, man. One of the things you mentioned about using what we already have more efficiently really reminds me of. So my friend Leslie Glustrom, who was on the podcast, actually gave me this book, um, A Finer Future, which by Hunter L. Lovins, who lives in Boulder, who I hope to hopefully have on the show at some point. And one of the, it's all about creating a like regenerative economy and service to life and, you know, fixing all these issues that you and I are both interested in. But one of the most interesting things about fighting climate change that I've learned is that one of the most effective solutions is 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 rather than like changing all, well, it is changing stuff around is, is just actually energy efficiency, which is, is not even using, it is using less energy, but it's, it's you, it's doing what we already do, but in a better way. And I think people who are into like capitalism and entrepreneurship can totally get on board with that. Cause it's like, if we, if we make, uh, I don't know, a car, let's, let's say uses 10,000 joules. And then we have a car that uses 6,000 joules, but it's faster and lasts longer. You know, it's a win-win for everyone. So it's like a way to really incentivize people in the markets to be like, Hey, energy efficiency is like one of the biggest solutions to climate change. I figured I would just throw that into this chat. Yeah. So, I mean, housing efficiency is another, another big go. place where we can uh, make gains. And it's not just about having better insulation and solar panels on your house. It's about putting people into bedrooms that are close to places that where where they can work, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, and, and a huge demographic trend going on in Boulder is empty nesters who stay in their large house by themselves, right? Not a couple two, today. Two, yeah, two, two uh, elderly people. I mean, th- th- I, there's just lots of places, lots of houses that are occupied by, by two older people or, or fewer. Um, huge house, huge yard, and in proximity to transit centers and, and places to work. And um, I just I just sort of feel like we need to normalize uh, using making better use of those houses. I'm not saying that people should be forced to be to to you know at, at a certain age you should be forced to sell your home to whatever. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like um, normalizing the behavior of of having houses that are filled with people ought to be something that's just like not something you know like we I don't know why but 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 people resist that. They're just like, it makes them angry thinking about, oh, there'll be more people. But, um, you know, for generations, actually, you know, you, you built your house as you had more people in your family. Mm -hmm. And then if you were short on money, you would rent out a room or two or three rooms to, uh, to have a boarder, you know, who lived, who worked in the city. And it, to me, it just makes a lot of sense to, um, we have so many big houses in Boulder that mm-hmm. are just mostly empty most it's of the de- time. It's definitely it's crazy. True. I mean, it's crazy to me. Well, people have vacation homes here too as well. But like, wh- how would you respond? Like, I respect what you're saying. I'm not going to de- de- deny it at all. But wh- how would you respond to someone who says, you're talking about the old man who, you know, his wife has passed away and he's sitting in his 3000 square foot house, just not using the space that much. Probably maybe he goes from his bedroom to the, the living room. What would you say to someone who says, and that's their right as an American to be able to do that? That's the American dream. Well, that, I mean, gosh, uh, <laughs> my brain goes in like five directions with that question, but that, that sounds like a nightmare to me to be isolated and by yourself in a large sure. house. And uh, like for, for myself, when I think about the kind of space I would like to retire into, mm-hmm. I certainly don't want to be stuck in the suburbs uh, where I have to drive everywhere because at some point I won't be able to drive anymore, right? I, but hopefully I'll be able to walk or at least get around in a wheelchair until I die. And um, so I want to be in a pro-social neighborhood where I'm surrounded by people that I've built relationships with over the last, the last decades, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, so yeah, if, if you want to, if you want to be lonely in a large house and, and that's your right, that that's your right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, uh, make, make, you know, make suggestions that we need to have legislation to somehow, regulate how everybody makes these Boot choices. The old people it's, it's this is the young people's world now <laughs> yeah but 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 i would say that collectively as a society um for, to allow that to happen um in, in in a way where it's normalized where where that seems like you know this happens all the time right now yeah yeah right now it means it means that collectively the the land that this is happening on is way undervalued and way underutilized. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason the land, I mean, from my perspective, the reason the, the reason the land is undervalued is because we just don't allow for much to happen on it, right? We have single family zoning that just doesn't allow for creative reimagination of how to use this parcel or how to aggregate parcels or how to just re-engineer all of it. And um, I think... Um, I think we need to have more imagination around this because cool. um, our our neighborhoods are lonely and they're um, they're 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 oversized and we could we could rebuild things. And I I know a, a, a kind of a, a theme that keeps I keep hearing I've listened to a few of your episodes now is is you don't want to coerce people into um, having to restructure a parcel or or you know have their have their neighborhood restructured. But, um, you know, I, I actually feel like markets really want to change housing, right? And, mm-hmm. and of course, that, that adds a lot of fear because markets can behave pathologically. But I guess my response to that is um, they're behaving very pathologically right now. They're badly broken and they're causing paranoia and, and greed in, in the way we approach wealth accumulation and the way we um, approach property rights. 
And I think that we could liberalize the way people can use land in a way that would make everybody relax, you know, like, like, you know, if, if this, this property, I'm renting a house here in, in uh, South Boulder and mm-hmm. it's on a, it's, it's one of these typical, like it's, it's probably more like 2000 square feet on a quarter acre. And I just do this, I do this thought experiment of like, you know, if, if you could consolidate these four lots that I live on um, and, and, and repurpose it with a 20 plex or something like that, you could build beautiful structures on it that would house a lot more people. And, you know, I live in a walkable neighborhood. I can walk to the grocery store and the, the local library and to the transit center. And um, wow, it, you know, it would be, it would be awesome if more people could take, could have car light lifestyles. Sure. So, well, first off, thanks for listening, man. I really appreciate it. Anyone who's listening now, it's an absolute honor to have you. Thank you guys for listening to the show. It's always a blast. Um, and in response to your, your, your discussions on, on markets, I would just say that the way things are functioning now, there's a lot of externalities. I don't know if that's the right word. That's just aren't being accounted for like environmental degradation and resource consumption is not being brought into GDP or, or bottom lines on people's uh, whatever they're called profit and loss statements. So that's just something it just plain out needs to change because it's just, it's not an efficient market when we just all, if all the inputs that we're using are not being accounted for and when they run out, we're going to have no business at all. So that, that that's my response to that. And yes, of course, I try not to coerce people because if you try to coerce people, they uh, will try to do the opposite of what you're saying. So that's why I always try not to coerce people. But yeah. um, to transition here to speaking of reimagining Boulder, I just want to kind of to get your thoughts on like the Boulder Junction area and 30th Street. What do you think about what's going on over there in town? Yeah, so um, uh, I wanted to talk about this because it came up with your your previous guest, Gary my boy, Walker. my boy, yeah. Gary. Shout out Gary Walker. <laughs> follow, follow Everyone follow him on Twitter. That's right. Um, he was he was really uh, poo pooing the the development going on there, and he made a really valid point about how we don't account for the externalities of the the carbon footprint of building those concrete and steel That's structures, correct. and we absolutely need to be doing that. But um, and um, I I I guess I want to have a nuanced perspective on on building dense housing there in in that area. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to say that, you know, the notion that he, he kept, he used the phrase packing people in, which to me is absurd because there, a lot of them are luxury condos. So, so it's, it's very difficult to, on one hand, call them luxury condos. And then on the other hand, characterize it as like, we're really, you know, we're really forcing people into these depraved situations, you know, by packing them into, to little cans, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, you know, I just push back on that. But, um, but if you do this thought exercise, like let's say you're a computer scientist, for example, you make a high salary and you are in the market for housing, some kind of housing. And maybe you're not a minimalist like me. Maybe, maybe you're trying to maximize what you can squeeze out of the economy through your, your, your own personal GDP or whatever. So you have these choices about where you're going to buy a house. You could buy a house on the on the fringes of the exurbs, you know, uh, beyond the suburbs, mm-hmm. and and you could buy a, a, a three-car garage and a and a vaulted ceiling living room and all the things that go with a McMansion, and spend the next decades filling it up with all the shit that you accumulate. Yep. Um, or you could perhaps buy a luxury condo at Boulder Junction, and have a have a Tesla and an underground parking. And, you know, have high speed internet and a, a, a fancy deck that look, overlooks the city. Um, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is even like this, this is going to resonate with anybody, but I, but I feel all. like, but I feel like, um, you know, there ought to, so let me just back up and say this. Um, when I think about the housing market and the fact that it, I don't think it's healthy, when I when I want a healthy housing market, you can think about it from the from the point of view of economics, where it's like a healthy market is like uh, a system, you know, a, a market where there's lots of options at lots of price points. You know, when you think about like the the cell phone market is is healthy in that sense. You know, maybe it's not good for the planet. Maybe there's all kinds of problems with it, but there are lots of options. Almost everyone can get a cell phone. I I have a hundred and fifty dollar phone. That's amazing. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, wow. And so why, why uh, don't I have options for housing 
you know, why, why doesn't the housing market give me lots of options? Um, On a local basis, you, you're talking about? On a local level? Because there is, there, I mean, there's literally millions of dwellings all around the country. Uh, well, I guess I would push back on that and say, like, um, if, there, if, if you're into suburban sprawl, single family homes of a certain kind, then, yeah, there's probably lots of options for you. I, I don't have a car and I want to live in a city in pro-social neighborhoods where I can walk everywhere. Right, 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 and I right. feel like for me, there's not a lot of options, right? There's, there's, uh, there's like, you have to get rich first and then, you know, or, or win a lottery, a, a, a affordable housing lottery um, to, to, to participate in that, in that game. And so I guess uh, I would not, I would not characterize the housing market as having lots of options uh, for, for people who want to have a small carbon footprint. Okay. Um, we can fix and, that. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think Boulder Junction allows for um, people to live close to work, close to uh, grocery stores and shopping. And anyone who lives in that neighborhood can give up their car if, if they, if they set their mind to it. Right. I, I would sure. not recommend if you live out in Erie in a McMansion, I, I, I can't recommend to you that you give up your car. You're probably going to need it for the, the foreseeable future for, for everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but Boulder Junction, you know, there's a car share uh, in, in the, in the parking ramp there at the transit center. There's uh, bike paths that just lead in, in several directions from that area. And, um, Really, what they ought to do with those with those neighborhoods is decouple the parking from the the, the occupancy from the units, and uh, if you want fewer cars, make it a lot more expensive to own and store a car uh, in that in those neighborhoods. Well, Philip, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. What else are you up to, man? You starting a podcast? Oh yes, so uh, <laughs> we we, uh, <laughs> we mentioned uh, David Adamson before. So he he's a um, somewhat you introduced me to, as it turns out. Thank you. No worries. Um, and uh, we've been collaborating on a podcast this year since the beginning of the new year, and uh, it's called Sharing Boulder, mm-hmm. and it's going to be at SharingBoulder.us.us. And uh, we um, we have about four episodes that we're pretty much done with. Two two more in the works. I think we're going to try to have a cadence of one every two weeks on Sunday afternoons. And uh, yeah, the first one, the first episode, I'm a, I'm I think I'm all done editing it. It's I just need to work out the distribution. So maybe you have some tips for me there. Yeah, but, I'll, uh, I'll put it on my website so people can check it out. Cool. And uh, well, I mean, distribution in terms of uh, uh, the actual physical uploading the, the MP3s and MP4s. And we, stuff. we can chat. We can chat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And so and then we uh, we interviewed Aaron Brockett, who's on the city council and Dave Ensign, who uh, is the senior member of the, the Boulder Planning Board. And we've interviewed each other a couple of times. And so that's that's our first four episodes. And yeah, I'm excited to uh, to dive into more of the the issues around uh, housing and land use in Boulder and trying to like really change hearts and minds because um, we're not we're not our creative imagination isn't solving these problems very quickly. We we are mm. kind of stuck in old mindsets and old paradigms about uh, what Boulder is and what cities are and and uh, I just think they could be so much better. And, you know, sort of save the planet at the same time. Yeah. Well, Philip, thank you for the work you're doing, man. I appreciate the passion behind what, what you're doing. I appreciate the, 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 the desire to create a better world because I think we always need to be trying to strive towards that. It's been nice talking to you today. Two, uh, two final quick questions. Oh, maybe not necessarily quick, but I wanted <laughs> to, to get your advice. Uh, so everyone check out Sharing Boulder. It'll be on uh, Climate Change Realty's website as well, just to give them a little extra boost of publicity. But how, do you, how, do, how did you find topics that you're passionate about? How did you stumble upon this stuff? What advice do you have to someone who's maybe young and doesn't exactly know what they're interested in and wants to be involved with um, big issues or commu- on a community level? How would you recommend someone find something that they could be passionate about? That's a great question. I think uh, listening to podcasts is, uh, is a great uh, way to to hear little snippets you know like a good podcaster uh has a way of of 
bringing out a person's life's work. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I listen, I just listened to podcasts voraciously and, uh, it, it, uh, um, it helps me connect a lot of dots. I don't, I don't feel like I have time to read all the books in the world that I would love to read. Mm-hmm. I obviously recommend reading books. <laughs> I think, sure. uh, you know, I've had a lot of books that really changed my life. Um, but I think, um, I think, you know, uh, if you just, if you just sort of let the marketplace of ideas have its way with you, you sort of turn into a, a button clicking pleasure bot that just, mm. you know, scroll doom scrolls through or just YouTubes or whatever, or binge watches a show, you know, you end up just watching Netflix. And um, I think it's important to be intentional about what you consume, um, you know, what, what you decide to read, who you decide to listen to, uh, because if you don't, uh, you're just, you're just going to uh, be uninspired and entertained. And um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so, yeah, I've, I guess I've, I've tried to um, really listen to people and through, through podcasts, through conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, my, my um, initial interest in housing uh, uh didn't didn't come about. I didn't I didn't start off with an interest in housing. I, I I have I have interests in all kinds of things like yeah social social justice issues. Like one one issue I'm really concerned and, and have a lot of passion for is is immigration and um, okay. the way we deal with immigrants in our country is unconscionable to me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, and there's lots to say about that. Um, I have I have uh concerns about our, our, our racist uh, structures of, um, of, you know, our society that uh, sure. continue to perpetuate. But for me, the, the thing that just keeps con- connect, uh, you know, these different dots that keep connecting is like the cities we live in are, are not beautiful. They're not fair. They're not um, inviting and welcoming. They're, they're expensive and they're exclusive and um, I, you know, like to me, it, it becomes this bottleneck for uncorking human potential. And, uh, and so th- that, that's how I got interested in housing and, and land use, because if we can, if we can kind of sort that out, um, and, and really like the, the bottleneck and the cork and when it comes to land use is, is the zoning regulations and it's not very sexy and it's kind of arcane. It's very technical, uh, but if we can, you know, um, start talking about how zoning is really limiting human potential on all these different issues, social justice, climate change, mental health, mm. immigration, um, then I feel like, you know, for me, that's why it's a, it's a subject that really appeals to me. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's, it's been fun talking to you today, man. You're, you're a really nice guy. I appreciate you reaching out to come on the show. It's always fun to talk to, to new people every single week. Uh, I guess last question for the day is beyond the podcast and the blog that you're doing, how else uh, would you plan to get effective change on this particular topic? Or how would you advise others to get involved to really get substantive um, action taking? Because that's always what I want to accomplish from what I'm doing is to actually see effective action today towards the goals that we're reaching for. So a very small thing you can do is go on to bedroomsareforpeople.com and well, sign our petition. Sure. It, that's, that's the lowest bar you can get. But, but, um, but, but really, like you do have to start paying attention to what's going around you at the local mm. level and start showing up to city council meetings, start going to planning board meetings, start going to whatever, whatever, you know, there's so many nonprofits in town that are eager for an audience to eager to have small donations, eager to have volunteer hours. Um, and by doing those things, you can meet people and, and, and understand how people are working. You know, there's, there's lots of work to be done. And it's sort of like, there, there's just like this matching issue of like, how do you take people who are interested in changing the world and, and match them up with the people who are changing the world and just need more help? Well, these people over here need to just start reading their emails and start paying attention and showing up to things where they, that, that they have an interest. And if, if you start doing that, there's, there's like, there's so much work to do. You'll, you'll find yourself um, trying, trying to figure out how to, 
scale it back. Right. <laughs> so, For sure, man. um, so like, yeah, someone who's sitting around twiddling their thumbs thinking like, Oh God, you know, the world is going to hell. What, what, what should I do? What can I do? Well, I something. mean, yeah, something, you know, like, and I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm actually skeptical of that answer. Like, I think there's lots of things we can do poorly and do go in the wrong direction, but, sure. um, but really there's like, you know, whatever it is that you're interested in or the, the, the issues that sort of speak to your heart. Um, there are people out there that are running nonprofits or running programs or whatever that you can plug into those um, and, and make a difference in those programs or those, those organizations. Thank you. Yeah. And one thing I always try to show people with my business and with the podcast is that one person really can make a difference, especially in the United States where the whole world has their eye on what we're doing. So really, if you were able to move one city in one direction, and it's a city like Boulder that other cities are looking at as an example, it, it really just can take one, uh, whatever, one drop to move the ocean or something like that. So Philip, man, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thanks for so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, for making connections and for putting yourself out there. I know that um, your peers in the real estate industry, I'm sure some of them are scratching your heads. You you do what? You've got a you got a podcast on climate change, but but uh, I I imagine that's a a, a fun that's a conversation starter. But yeah, I really appreciate you putting your sticking your neck out and uh, and putting and putting uh, thoughts into people's heads. I, that's great. It's an absolute honor every single week, man. And as we say, hope everyone has a fantastic day. Thanks. Thanks so much, Philip. Peace. Peace out, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate, the official podcast of Climate Change Realty. If you are very passionate about these issues and you know anyone considering buying or selling a home anywhere in the USA, then please visit ccrboulder.com today.